0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. All
1: right, well, I'll go ahead and start. Just go ahead and uh, introduce yourself and tell us about your uh, dog life journey.
2: All right, well, my name is Amy Isley, and I've been in purebred dogs since 1981. I started in Doberman Pinschers, and it was in Southern California and showing dogs there and I found the miniature pincher, which I could actually show myself instead of hiring a handler, and I enjoyed the, the the breed for quite some time. It was around 1989 or 1990 that I was introduced to my first German pincher, but at that time I was going to about 110 shows a year,
0: mm.
3: and
2: AKC did not recognize the German pincher at that time. And so I did not get one, but I did become interested in the breed, and it was always in the back of my mind of something that I would be very interested in being involved in. Um, In 1997, we stopped showing dogs to raise our children. And in 2005, we started back at shows. And at my very first AKC show in 2000 and – I'm sorry, 2005 is when I actually saw – German pitchers again. They've been AKC recognized for two years. And it was another two years before I was able to get. I say some because we didn't, we started with one, but by the end of the year we had three. They're like potato chips. You can't have just one. Um, they've got a lot of personality and they've got a working dog aptitude like the Doberman. They've got uh, a lot of character and personality like the Miniature pincher. And I found the breed to be very endearing and something that uh, I don't think I'll ever be able to live without.
3: Awesome.
2: Well, you know, to be honest with you, um, having been a Doberman owner for well over 20 years, as well as having Miniature pinchers for well over 20 years, um, I found the Dobermans to be... Um, a dog that was uh, very trainable. Uh, they were a very good companion. Um, the Min Pin were were the clowns. They were they were fun to be around. Uh, they had lots of personality and and uh, they didn't listen too well. They were pretty independent and. Uh, I, I still kid my friends when I tell them, you know, German pinchers can be house broke, minpins can't. And they say, oh, my minpin's house broke. And I say, yeah, you just haven't found the spot yet. <laughs> um, toy dogs are notorious for being difficult to housebreak break, and mm-hmm. minpins are truly no exception for that. But uh, German pinchers are very clean in the house. Um, they make um, great family dogs. If they have the right temperament, um, there are Within this breed, still some issues with temperaments. Uh, The breed has evolved quite a bit, but um, the uh, the similarities between the Doberman and the German Pinscher again are the trainability, Um, the the being a companion dog. um, You know, they'll lay on the couch and watch TV with you, or they'll go out jogging with you, depending on what you want to do. The the German Pinscher is trainable like the Doberman, so there's um, there's uh, many german pinchers that have uh, agility titles and mock titles which is a high agility tile and uh, then there's obedience titles as well as like rally titles mm-hmm. and then they're very good at scent work and things like that so you'll get nose work titles or tracking titles and there's actually a champion tracker german pincher and um, this breed is very good at barn hunt too Because originally this breed was um, an overall farm dog, Mm -hmm. and an overall farm dog's job is not only to be a member of the family and and hang out with the family and protect it, but Mm -hmm. to keep an eye on the farm, keep an eye on what's going on at the farm, and to kill vermin. And so they're they really good rodent killers. Um, to this day, it's just a very natural instinct for them to want to hunt vermin. And um, so this breed excels in barn hunt. There's many of them out there that are at master's level um, because it's something that they enjoy doing. And people that uh, enjoy getting out and doing activities like that with their dog have a great time with German pinchers doing that. Um, the miniature pinchers um, are very playful, very very uh, energetic breed so the, the german pincher has some some energetic tendencies from that um and uh, i guess i should explain that the german pincher itself was a breed back in 1881 it was recognized in the german stud books mm-hmm. um as being part of the schnauzer the pincher schnauzers they were they were all the same breed back then
3: mm-hmm.
2: and then um they were brought into being a distinct breed in 1895. Now, what happened was because uh, they weren't consistent with their breeding, they wanted three generations of short-coated dogs, and they weren't getting it. And they were getting the wrong colors because they wanted to have the solid colors, and the German pinchers. And eventually what happened was this breed almost became extinct, Um Because in 1917 is when they started splitting the coats. They wouldn't allow them to be bred together any longer. And um, unfortunately, by um, 1922 to 1934, there were very few German pinchers that were still around. Mm -hmm. And by um, uh, 1949, there were no new entries made in the stud book. Mm -hmm. And so there were really truly almost no German pinchers, period so the breed became almost completely extinct and so uh, Werner Young who was the uh, Pinscher Schnauzer Club uh, inspector at the time um, reported that the youngest German pincher for breeding in 1956 was nine years old and so what he decided to do was to search for German pinchers that could be bred Mm -hmm. and um, when he could only find one in 1957 um he used her as the foundation for the german pincher as it is today now the way he brought the german pincher breed back is using three miniature pinchers oh, okay. um, i'm sorry four miniature pinchers uh three males and one female and that's how he reestablished the breed now i have jokingly said i wish i could have been back there back then and said, please, use the Schnauzer and the Doberman too, not just the (laughs) Minpins. Because after 20 years of Minpins, I know how stubborn they can be, Mm -hmm. I know how independent they can be, and this breed too shows some of those tendencies from time to time. Mm -hmm. And although it can be an endearing characteristic, it can also uh, be a little frustrating at times too. So um, you get, uh, you know, Dobermans are a more compliant breed Uh, men pins are more entertaining and so the German pincher is a nice combination of both but sometimes you get a little bit too much of the independence and not enough of the compliance and so you know that's just everybody's got their own personalities and and it's just the way it is but um, so when I when I say that the German pincher, you know gets uh, some of its clownishness uh, from the miniature pincher, I truly believe that mm-hmm. they do have a good sense of humor and I, I have had Dobermans in the past that have uh, smiled or grinned and um this breed does there are many dogs in this breed that uh, when you catch them doing something they shouldn't or you shame them for doing something they know they're not supposed to do um, they will show you all their teeth or some of them are just to the point where if they just see you they'll just smile at you because they know that you they get a reaction because you laugh and then you know they smile more it's just (laughs) something they do and they'll just show you every tooth in their head and there's no aggression to it it's just purely them being silly and they'll like cock their head funny and and just act kind of silly when they show you all their teeth they've just got a, a unique sense of humor um they'll, they'll do things purposely because they get a reaction out of it we have uh, we've had one that um, she she's a little uh, a little contrary sometimes and she knows she's not really supposed to be too close to your food when you're eating mm-hmm. and sometimes she'll reach her nose almost to your plate and you'll see her tongue come out and you'll fuss at her and then she'll just grin as big as she can but she did it on purpose it's not like she had to be there but she knew she could get you to say oh scooter you're bad and then she could grin at her you know she's just she's just a silly girl you know (laughs) and so this breed purposely does things to make you laugh and uh i tell people if you have more than one you don't need tv anymore because they're highly entertaining and uh, they're very good at at um at entertaining themselves too (laughs) they'll you know toss toys around and they'll play with toys but you know if there's another one around they're very quick to take a toy over to the other one so they can play together which is is different than many other breeds that you know once it's theirs it's theirs and nobody else can have it um this breed is very sharing and and does play well with others and it was in 1895 that um the wire-haired pincher um was called the schnauzer Mm -hmm. and um the smooth coat stayed the pincher now they still bred them together until 1917 but um It took a long time for the the smooth version to breed true. And they did produce characteristics of the rough coats and the schnauzer colors. And it was a concern that the pincher would be in jeopardy of extinction back at that time because of the issues they were having getting them to breed true. In 1916, there were um, 233 dogs, but many of them were removed from the the stud books because of their schnauzer coats and their coloring. And so they were still having trouble back in 1916 trying to get them to breed true also. And like I said, until 1917, they did breed them together. And so they were running into issues. So from 22 to 34, um, there were only a few good quality dogs that could be used for breeding. And there was better consistency and better quality amongst the breed. But by 1941, there was only 16 pinchers that remained. And in 1949, there were no new entries made to the pincher stud books. Hmm. Now, the German pincher's origin is that of a farm dog. They were used to protect the farm, to um, be with the owners, uh, to oversee what's going on. They were very good at, at uh, you know, one of the... Uh, attributes of the breed is that they have a free flowing, um, effortless stride, and so they would just trot around the farm, making sure everything was where it was supposed to be and, and the way it was supposed to be. And uh, they also, like I said before, they they do like to kill rodents, and they would make sure that they kept the rats and the mice out of the barns, so that uh, you know the the feed in there would be good for the animals and, and not uh, not ruined. So the German pincher was uh, used as an overall farm dog at that time there are breeders here in the united states that do um, not only farm dog but and barn hunt competitions with them but some of them actually do herding with them and some of them actually do um, pulling competitions with their dogs but this breed was mainly a uh, a a vermin killer and uh, a family dog that uh, protected the farm and, and the family
1: Can you talk about the uh, the the modern standards of the German pitcher? Like, is there a difference between the AKC and, say, like the FCI? Or
2: um, There are um, a lot of similarities uh, to the AKC and the FCI standard. The AKC standard originally was approved by the American Kennel Club in uh, In 2003, when they were recognized, that was the standard that was used. Um, During the next three years, the standard was revised, and um, the second standard for our breed was established and effective on January 1st, 2006. Mm -hmm. And from that time forward, we have used that standard. Um, The German Pinscher is a medium-sized breed. They are a short-coated dog. They are elegant in appearance and they have a strong square build with moderate body structure. They are muscular and powerful for endurance and agility. Um, They are an energetic breed. They are watchful and alert. They are agile and intelligent. They are loyal. They are fearless and they are determined. The German Pinchers has the prerequisites to be an excellent watchdog and companion. The German Pinscher is 17 to 20 inches tall at the shoulder. And that is what our standard size is here in the United States for our breed. A lot of people want to know what their weights are. I will tell you that it is fair to say that the average German Pinscher is 30 to 40 pounds. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not any that are 25 pounds. That doesn't mean there's not any that are 50. Mm -hmm. But there are the, the average weight of a a German Pinscher is 30 to 40 pounds. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter if they're male or female. The size is 17 to 20 regardless. Um, There are many AKC standards that call for different sizes for males and females, and this breed does not. Oh, no, there are dogs that are in the search and rescue field. There's a a German Pinscher that... we had from our first litter that was born in 2008 she did search and rescue uh, work in southern california um even jumped out of a helicopter so you know wow. there's a uh, they are very good. They're like I said. They're they're very good with their noses. They're very good at tracking and at nose work and and uh, things like that. So they're very helpful. And the reason why some of the search and rescue rescue people do prefer this breed is because they are a medium sized breed. If they have to pack them in, mm-hmm. and you know. Many times in search and rescue situations, you do have to pack a dog in. If you need to pack the dog in, you can carry a German pincher. 30 to 40 pounds um, strapped to you is not as difficult as if, you know, you were to say a bloodhound that weighed 80. (laughs) (laughs) It's a big difference. So, um, And they're very agile and they're very quick. And so um, it's very helpful because they can cover uh, quite a bit of ground quickly and determine, uh, you know, if there's something there that, that needs to be identified and and searched further they can be a very good family dog they can be very good with kids Um, there were some issues initially in this breed And it's unfortunate, but uh, a lot of the people that got into the breed originally had not been in dogs and didn't understand canine temperament. And when they bought dogs from other countries, people sometimes didn't send the best dogs here. Mm -hmm. And so there were dogs that were sent here that had questionable temperaments, and they were bred because they were the only thing here. And so they're... are still to this day some dogs with temperaments that uh, really, you know, you'll, you'll call and talk to a breeder and, and tell them that, you know, you've got a, a seven-year-old child. And they say, well, we don't sell dogs to anybody with children under the age of nine.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, I mean, you know, there's other breeders uh, that will sell to newborns and toddlers
0: mm-hmm.
2: because they know their dog's temperaments and they know that they're not going to, you know, react uh, inappropriately. Mm-hmm around children but uh it's it's just you know that there are some pockets of bad temperaments within our country and it's just something you need to be aware of because they can be very dedicated family dogs they can be very loving they can be very friendly with everybody that you're friendly with and uh you know welcome strangers but know the difference and and uh know that if you know if a stranger were to come into the house when they weren't invited It's a different situation than if you open the door and say, come on in. Mm -hmm. And so the dog should react accordingly because it has a good temperament, and any dog with a good temperament will. Um, And so, therefore, it's just – it's very important for people to know that there are good temperaments and there are bad temperaments. You just need to make sure that you screen who you're getting a dog from and understand – the the basis of that dog's behavior and the family and the way they react and so on so that you know you're buying the dog that you want for your situation
0: right
2: Um, there are very few health issues in our breed which is wonderful our breed has 13 to 15 years longevity which is wonderful but there are breeders out there that find it incredibly important to make sure that we keep that 13 to 15 years Um, they are the true preservationist breeders Mm -hmm. and the preservationist breeders want to make sure that each generation is going to live as long as the generation before and does uh, the as much health testing as possible to ensure that the next generation has an opportunity to have good longevity and so even though this breed does not have a lot of health issues um, when i got into the breed in 2007 um, there were concerns that there might be thyroid issues because in schnauzers there was a lot of thyroid issues Mm -hmm. so many of the breeders checked for thyroid and uh, over you know Seven years they determined there really wasn't any thyroid issues in this breed, and it wasn't something that was a major concern and didn't need to be checked as thoroughly as we had been. Mm -hmm. Um, When I got into the breed, there was vomula bronze carriers, and vomula bronze is a bleeding disorder that Dobermans have, Mm -hmm. and it's almost impossible these days to find a doberman that is a vwd clear it's just so inherent their breed because of uh you know not having dna testing for so long and breeding dogs together and and finding out that they were carriers and that they you know produced it even though their numbers were decent on their titers and things like that so in uh german pinchers um the german pinchers most of them took a very hard stance on on breeding anything that carried VWD because if you don't breed carriers, you don't produce carriers. If you don't have carriers, there's no chance of breeding two carriers together by accident. Mm -hmm. So it became very important to eliminate von Willebrands from the German pinchers, and it's pretty much gone now. Mm -hmm. Um, Hereditary eye cataracts is one of the issues this breed had a lot of. Uh, a lot more of back in 2007 than they do today. Um, Breeders uh, that test every single year to make sure that there's no hereditary issues up to the age of like seven to ensure that anything before that time potentially could have hereditary implications depending on what type of cataracts were identified um, versus anything after the age of seven, which would be an age-related situation to the eyes. Mm. And so obviously that's just, you know, going to happen like all of us over 40 needing reading glasses so you know that's a different situation so um another test that has uh, come into light in the last couple of years is degenerative myelopathy which is dm and there are no affected german pinchers with dm but there have been carriers found in austria Mm
0: -hmm.
2: australia Sweden, America, and Germany. Mm. Now, with the carriers, it's the same thing with FOMO. If you don't test, you don't know you have carriers, and if you don't know you have carriers, you have a chance of potentially breeding two carriers together. So it is very important to test everybody to make sure that you're not breeding carriers. Now, Mm -hmm. the difficult situation is with DM is they have found Even the carriers can be symptomatic, but at older ages. Degenerative myelopathy occurs about six to eight years of age in a dog that is affected. But a dog that is a carrier, it may not show up until they're 11 or 12 years old. And Basically, um, it starts with maybe a dragging of toes in the back or being weak in the rear end and not being able to stand well, or maybe not be able to get up the stairs and so on until the dog becomes a paraplegic Mm. and is completely incapacitated. So again, why would you want to put anybody through that where they would have to lose their loved one before they should, you know, so it's a matter of testing, um, we have done uh, echoes on hearts for um, since 2009. Mm-hmm. It didn't actually become a requirement of the OFA, um, the Orthopedic Foundation of Animals of America, until um, 2017 uh, to receive their CHIC, which is their Canine Health Identification Foundation. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, certi- I'm sorry canine health identification certificates and uh, so you know if you've, you have a certain amount of testing done and it used to be von bronze eyes and hips and that would get you a chick and now it, the von bronze because it's not an issue any longer in our breed you have to have a clear sonogram on your heart or you have to test by getting uh, an auscultation by a veterinarian annually to show that your dog does not have a murmur at that time um, as well as having your eyes and hips done to be able to get chick certified and um, so that's a a good way to ensure that uh, your your puppies do not you know have uh issues you know if if you have the parents have their hearts checked you can see if you do a sonogram that they don't have anything that's going to lead to be a murmur, you know. You can check the valves. You can check, uh, you know, um, the the rate that the blood flows through the, the parts of the heart, and so on. And so, um, it's a very important test to screen to ensure the health of the next generation going forward. So, it's very important to do that.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Well, actually, you know, I was raised by. Um, by a mother who was afraid of dogs okay. and we had cats growing up and i always loved dogs and it, it's funny because i remember when i was a, a kid seeing a movie called the doberman gang and i thought it was so cool that those dogs were so well trained and that they were so smart i thought they were so clean and smooth looking like horses and i loved horses and i thought that those dobermans were so cool and so um when i was uh 16 i got my first dog and it was a doberman and he uh was a a really neat dog he was smart he was very trainable and he was my best friend and we did everything together we'd go you know to the the place where i had my horse boarded and we'd hang out there and and he'd hang out with me and then we you know if i went to the store he'd go to the store i mean he was just you know he's my buddy Mm -hmm. and um then uh I made the mistake of going to a dog show, uh-huh. and you know I found out that uh, I have a bit of a competitive nature, and I really like to show dogs. Mm-hmm. So by 1983, I was showing dogs for other people as well as my own, and having a blast. And uh, you know the thing is, is uh, you know you can show dogs for other people, and it's it's a lot of fun, and, and it's great to do something for someone else, but. I found that uh, when you actually breed a litter of puppies and raise them up and you take them to the ring, it's just such a satisfying thing to be able to take something that you helped create mm-hmm. and take it to the shows and to do something with it, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it's not just you do something with it. I mean, I can tell you, one of, honestly, one of my, my favorite experiences as a dog breeder was um, in 2016 at the National Specialty when a dog that I uh, co-owned with somebody else and they showed it themselves went best in specialty show because it meant so much to her as well as you know it being a great accomplishment for any breeder but it was fantastic to be able to be in the ring competing with and watching one of your dogs win Mm -hmm. the highest honor you can get in our national club for the year so it was just a, a thrill and so you know it's not what you do with your dogs alone it's what's done with your dog's period, you know. And it's just really neat as a breeder to see your dogs do well with other people. As long as they're doing well, it's awesome. You know, it's right. really outstanding to get good homes and they get loved and they get to go play and do things and, and they get to go and spend time with their owner and have special treats and, and and training. And, you know, it's just a lot of fun. I mean, it's we've had dogs do agility. We've had dogs do tracking. We've had dogs do, you know, all kinds of things, barn hunt mm-hmm. and uh, coursing and all kinds of things. It's just a lot of fun for the dogs and for the owners. You know it was something that that uh, you know that uh, you you brought into the world, and it's just a really awesome experience
1: mm-hmm. absolutely Can you talk about some of your early mentors in um, in breeding dogs like who did you really rely on when you first started?
2: you, you know it, it's always best if you can find a good breeder. Mm-hmm. that has a strong background not only in that breed but in dogs in general mm-hmm. and um when i look back on on some of my mentors that i had at miniature pinschers, because that's where i got uh, a lot of my foundation uh basics from um the first pin i got was from uh a lady that had been in Saint Bernard's and had done confirmation and obedience in Saint Bernard's mm-hmm. before she got into miniature pincers, and so it was nice to to have more of a well-rounded, you know, business—I mean, not, not business—working uh, and uh, and toy type background, and to draw from experience of the different shows that she had had and so on. And uh, her name was Connie Wick, and she and her husband became great friends of ours, and we are still friends to this day and it's wonderful to uh to have that type of, of relationship that mm-hmm. you meet somebody in 1984 and mm-hmm. here it is 2020 and still have a, a great friendship and uh it's it's wonderful um another breeder that uh, i learned a lot from when i was in miniature pinchers was uh norma kaka mm-hmm. of uh, blue hen miniature pinchers and uh she started breeding minpins uh around the time i was born and so you know i met her when i was in my my um late teens early 20s and uh it was just neat to be able to learn from her because she had a lot of experience not only in miniature pinchers but she had been in other breeds before that she had rock but she also did uh 4-h and, and ffa with with her kids and uh so they'd had horse and they'd had had horses, and they'd had uh, livestock, and, and she had a very good understanding of structure and balance and movement. And uh, so when I um, went to college, I took every judging class I could. So I learned how to judge, you know, pigs and lamb and horse and cattle and, you know, because structure and movement is very important mm-hmm. across all of the species. Because, you know, as you know, one of the the "die in the wool statement for the uh, dog people is if they're built right, they'll move right.
0: Mm-hmm. But
2: you have to understand what built right means. And you have to understand what moves right, moves right means. And in different breeds, it means different things. Like with miniature pinchers, they're supposed to have a hackney like action and you're supposed to see two legs going away from you and two legs coming back at you. And from the side, they're supposed to pick up you know, the front and the rear legs um, rather high as they move. Mm-hmm. So that's great for miniature pinchers. That's very correct for miniature pinchers. But the last thing you want to see is a working dog move like that. Mm-hmm. Um, working dogs have a low reaching front that has good extension and covers ground as well as a strong driving rear so that they can cover a lot of ground. And generally speaking most working breeds will find their center of gravity and converge Mm -hmm. now the german pincher standard calls for the effortless ground covering stride but it just says a non-conflicting coming and going Mm -hmm. now that is because when this breed came to this country they didn't move so well coming and going and so Instead of saying the breed must single track or anything like that, they just said it was, you know, it was best to just say non conflicting. The legs aren't supposed to hit each other when they pass, mm-hmm. and uh, that would suffice. But I have noticed over the last 10 years that many of the dogs are finding their center of gravity because their structure is getting better mm-hmm. and they're moving better and they're moving truer.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And so um, a lot of what you learn. Um, in structure and movement, and I've gone to seminars on canines as well as, you know, like I said, a lot of the, the judging courses that I took while I was in college um, to learn what makes it, what, what structural mechanisms make dogs or horses or whatever move properly. Yeah. Well, one of my greatest mentors uh, in handling was uh, a gentleman by the name of, of Bill Shelton. Mm -hmm. He was a Doberman handler on the West Coast Mm -hmm. at the time. Mm -hmm. And um, he uh, had very soft hands on a dog. And he never forced the dogs to do anything. He asked them. Mm -hmm. He got the dogs respect. He had the dogs respond easily to them because of his gentle way of, of working with them. And I was very blessed with the opportunity to work with him as... A very young person and learn many of the techniques that he had that he applied to dogs and i was able to later learn to apply them to the dogs that i showed also but you know he was never hard on the dogs he was never harsh never tough he was just always very easy soft and patient Mm -hmm. and he got a lot more out of the dogs he showed than a lot of the other people did Mm -hmm. And I, ha- I still to this day have so much respect for him. You know, it, it's really sad that within many breeds, there's people that I don't I, – they, they don't welcome new people. They don't yeah. encourage new people. They don't try to mentor new people. Mm-hmm. They really do a lot to discourage people by the attitude that they have or the way they treat others. And so it's very difficult sometimes for young people coming into the sport of dogs to feel welcome and to feel supported and to feel like they want to stick around. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, and this isn't necessarily, I mean, you know, you're born into it, you stay in it. I mean, I do have friends that were born into it that's parents showed dogs, and they have stayed in it. Mm -hmm. But there's also, you know, a a prime example is I have three children, and they're all in their 20s, and none of them go to dog shows. Mm -hmm. They have many times in their lifetime. But it's not something that, you know, they got hooked on like like I did. And so they don't uh, they don't spend their weekends going to dog shows all over the countryside. Um, but, you know, I have been blessed with opportunities to be around people that were new to it. I have been fortunate enough to, to have them uh, kind of stick around a little while and, and, and uh, you know, learn some philosophies and and. uh Get over the the jitters that you get when you first start, and realize that you know this this can be fun, and we can all have a good time, and you know there's no pressure. I mean, you know, one of my favorite things to tell people when they start to get discouraged is that uh, you know there's another dog show tomorrow, next mm-hmm. week, next month. There's dog shows all the time,
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know. Um, and, and jokingly, you know, I, I'll tell them, you know, hey, we paid for this judge's opinion today and you know what we might not really have even wanted it all we came here was for the ribbon and we might not have gotten the color that we wanted but that's okay because we still get to go home with the best dog ours you know and our dog still loves us and it doesn't care what color ribbon we got it cares that you loved it you spent the time with it you did something with it and you guys had fun and you get to go home Mm -hmm. and you know hey That's what it's about. This is about the dogs. It's not about us. Although people do tie their egos to it and people do get kind of crass about it because, you know, it's all about them and not the dogs. And it's not, Mm -hmm. you know, and I tell people they're dogs. They eat their own poop. Mm -hmm. You know, they're dogs. They throw up. But they still love us. They love us unconditionally. And if you can't learn that from a dog, you've missed the lesson. Because right. your dog loves you no matter what kind of day you had, what you look like, what you're wearing, or anything else. And they accept you because you're you. And if we all accepted each other the way dogs accept us, this whole world would be a whole lot better place for us all to live in. No doubt. No doubt. You know, they, they started different programs. I think it was probably, I want to say maybe five years ago. Maybe it's been longer than five years ago that they started with a uh, owner handler series mm-hmm. to try and get more owners involved in showing and, and getting a kick out of it than just to have the handlers going to the uh, group rings every time and the mm-hmm. same handlers being in the ring with the same dog every single time and giving the, the owner handlers a chance to have groups where there were no professionals so they can compete on a more even playing field in their minds. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, that incentive. Um, I know there are a few shows that have like a bred by group mm-hmm. which you know if you're a breeder it's kind of fun to be able to show the dog that you felt was the best one to bring today and mm-hmm. and show it in a competition for just bred by dogs and that would be a neat form but they don't do that at all the shows mm-hmm. but uh, you know they have the junior the junior showmanship program which is good for kids they get scholarships and things like that and it's it's good if they've got the support of somebody but that is definitely something that you 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 know you have to be involved with people that have dogs and you have to be involved with people that are willing to support you and allow you to go to the shows and teach you how to be able to show and so on so you can compete on those you know in that type of competition because that's purely the abilities of the person in the ring and not the dog mm-hmm. and so that program is is good for young people but you know unfortunately i don't think there's enough of a support base many times for kids that could be interested in it because that is uh, it's a lot more involved
1: yeah kind of maybe some some of the financial hurdles are probably bigger f- for a lot of people
2: yeah. You know, dog shows, it takes a lot of traveling and, it you yeah. know, it's expensive for, you know, gas these days yeah. isn't as expensive as it was, you know, five years ago. But, yeah. you know, gas, hotels, meals, you know, you're yeah. away from home and yeah. how many weekends a month you're going to be gone. I mean, you know, when I was in Southern California and showing there was only two weekends a year that I didn't go to a dog show. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, unlike uh, here in the Midwest, I mean, you have to drive a little bit further than than I did back then to get to the number of shows we go to, and we only go a few times a month, you know. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but uh, it does, it gets very expensive, and, and yeah, you know, it. Uh, like I said, it takes a lot of support for a junior showmanship type situation.
1: Yep. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Um, a lot of breeders go through um, a survey, uh-huh. and they'll put up a survey and have people fill out a survey so that they can, uh, you know, read it and determine if they want to talk to that person about selling them a puppy. And um, I personally um, have never felt like I wanted to do a survey. Um, I uh, do phone interviews with people and I feel like I get a much better feel for the answers I'm getting because they they don't have time to sit there and figure out what do they want me to say. Right. You know, it's usually more of a gut reaction or you just let people talk about situations that they have with their own pets. And, uh, you know, I'm not one to say that, you know, my dog has to be an only dog that goes to someone's home. Um, we've had dogs fit in with toy dogs. We've had dogs fit in with big dogs. We've had dogs, you know, fit into family, like I said, with with newborns and toddlers and and in geriatric patients and so on. I mean, you know, they um, we've got dogs that are therapy dogs. Um, so, you know, it really, um, my concern is the person's willingness to offer the dog their home. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean to have the dog come live with them. I mean to actually make it part of their family, make them, mm-hmm. you know, part of their lives, not just, hey, I've got a dog and it's in the backyard. And that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I want the dogs involved in what they do. Um, you know, I've got a, a guy that has his own real estate office, and the dogs go to the office with them all the time. Like I said, I've got a couple of different child therapists that have bought dogs from us, and the, the dogs go to work every single day. And You know, it's a great opportunity for the therapist, because, you know, a lot of times the kids, because they're child therapists, the kids have had a rough time. They don't always trust adults, but, you know, you're having a bad day, Joey. Mm-hmm. Why don't you... Why don't you tell, Why don't you tell you know Sam about your day, mm-hmm. and so you know they talk to the dog. Well, the therapist hears what the you know what the kids talking to the dog about, and then he can ask questions, mm-hmm. you know, and interact with the child afterwards. And it's it you know. It, it's a much better situation. So I want, I want my dogs to be involved. I don't want them to just be a lawn ornament, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I, I talked to people and I found out, you know, what are they going to do with the dog? Because, you know, just because I have a puppy for sale doesn't mean that it's going to go in someone's home. The puppy has to fit mm-hmm. the type of personality they want. Mm-hmm. I, I've sold dogs to people who do mini marathons.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I've also sold dogs to people that just want to lay on the couch and watch TV. It's not the same dog,
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know? Everybody has their own personality. Like I said, I've got three children of my own. They all have, to, all three of the same parents, but all three have different personalities. Yeah. And within a litter of puppies, you're gonna find the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so you need to try your best as a breeder to find the right puppy to fit into that home. Mm-hmm. Do they have a cat? Do they have a, pu- a little toy dog? Do they have a young child? Do they have grandchildren coming? You know, you've got to know what that dynamic of that household is going to be and then determine who's going to fit into that home. Mm -hmm. You know, do they want to run marathons? Do they just want to hang out and be lazy? You know, these are all questions that you have to ask somebody or listen to what they're saying and figure it out to be able to look at your puppies and trying to determine what's going to work best for them yeah well, you know I know people that have German pincers in places like Sweden and Finland, and yeah. they have a lot of harsher winters yeah. than we do yeah. but you know, honestly, you know i've I've seen pictures of of them out doing hiking and, and you know uh, cross country skiing with their dogs. but um you know with our dogs, because um, maybe I'm just too soft. I like to be in the house where it's nice and warm. Yeah. So our dogs are in the house where it's nice and warm, except when it's time to go potty. Mm-hmm. And so they get to go out and they play in the yard. Mm-hmm. Um, we're very fortunate. We live out in the middle of nowhere. So our front yard is about three quarters of an acre and our backyard about a half an acre. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, our dogs run out and they romp in the snow and they play in the snow and they do whatever they want to. But then they come back after a while and they go, hey, it's time to come in, you know, and they come in mm-hmm. because, you know, I wouldn't want to stay out there a long time, but I remember when I was young and silly, I'd go out and play in the snow too, you know? But, uh, so, you know, um, our dogs sleep in the house year round. They're, they're either in a crate or, or in our room, depending on the dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we don't have all of them running loose all the time because we do breed and show dogs. We have dogs that belong to other people. Mm-hmm. And we also have dogs that, uh, you know, are young and being trained and so not everybody runs together all the time Mm -hmm. although this morning i was looking out the front yard and there was quite a large group of dogs running around the front yard because that's who i put out together (laughs) so i mean you can have large groups of them together but you know we don't have everybody together all the time we just don't you know Mm -hmm. um but uh, they're they're very adaptable they don't care much for rain um, you know, my daughter's uh, dog Scooterbug, um, I mentioned her earlier. She's a bit of a character, and when it's raining, she'll look out the front door and go, Yeah, it's raining. I think I'll be peeing downstairs today. <laughs> you know? <laughs> You push her out the door and she does go potty, but it's not on her own free will. Um, And then there's others that, like, oh, it's raining. And they'll just like charge out into it and they don't care. And they'll run through mud puddles Mm -hmm. and get covered in mud. And then they'll come back in the house and climb on the couch. And, (laughs) you know, all of a sudden the couch is a different color. Um, So everybody's got their own personalities and everybody handles winter and weather and different things differently. But uh, we just try to make sure that we keep everybody comfortable and that nobody gets too cold and that nobody gets too hot and everybody stays dry when they need to be dry and so on. You know, that's
1: right.
2: the yeah. responsible thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, um, uh, I'll go back to my my college basis. I took a lot of feeds and feeding courses, too. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: I took, uh, you know, feeding courses for dairy cattle, for overall livestock, Mm -hmm. and for horses. So I took three different courses when it came to feeding animals. Now, even with the three courses that I took in college, I would no more try to determine that I could figure out what my dog needed more than a company That has been making dog food for 50 years or more, Mm -hmm. you know, um, they have paid hundreds of thousands of dollars over the years for nutritionists to do research Mm -hmm. and to determine what they feel is best with all the research they've done and all the testing they've done to meet the dog's nutritional needs. Now, when I pull back to my menpin mentor Norma,
0: mm-hmm. she
2: used to tell me that you can buy the most expensive dog food out there, and it, the second you decide you're going to add something to it, you have changed the balance and the nature of that dog food, mm-hmm. and it's no better than the cheapest dog food that you would buy at the grocery store. Right. So, you know, if you're going to pay for a high-end dog food, feed the high-end dog food. I personally um, am very against anything trendy, Uh anything new that hasn't been Mm well-established, and it has been proven in the last few years that all these people that jumped on the (laughs) grain-free bandwagon are now giving their dogs DCM. Because guess what? They need some grains. You know what a dog does when they kill an animal? They eat its guts. Eat its guts yep. What's in the animal's guts? Yeah. <laughs> Grasses, grains, whatever they got their little mouths on. Yep.
1: Tons of nutrients.
2: Yeah. Exactly. Dogs do need grains. Mm-hmm. They do. And so, you know, they've proven that, you know, you can kill a dog quick <laughs> by not feeding it any grain so don't go with these trendy you know i'm i I, rachel ray makes some great food for people Mm -hmm. but what on earth gives her the nutrition authority to make a dog food right you know um purina pro plan has you know purina has been around for what a hundred years probably you know purina puts out a good product i'm not talking about Puppy chow. I'm talking about Pro Plan. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about a higher end food. Mm-hmm. And I feed Pro Plan. I feed IMS. Mm-hmm. I feed Royal Canaan. I don't care much for science diet personally. I just have not found our dogs do real well on it. But our dogs eat dry kibble and water mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because that is what the nutritionists came up with to best balance and best suit. My dog's needs, and I will never feed raw food because, again, even with the training that I had in college to balance a diet, I don't feel good enough that I can say, "Okay, I'm going to take this, this, and this, and I'm going to make food for my dog." Mm-hmm. I have uh, a, a friend of mine that is a uh, a chemical engineer; she's uh, actually got a PhD, mm-hmm. and she feeds raw.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: She had a pregnant female. I said, how do you know she's getting the calcium balance that she needs? Oh, I feed her an extra few chicken necks. Hmm. I can't go into that. I just, I can't do that. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: I can't say that I'm a nutritionist and I know what's best for my dogs. I haven't had the training to do so. Mm -hmm. I can't do it. So we feed kibble and water. And the beautiful thing about feeding dry kibble and giving a bucket of water or a bowl of water is that if your dog gets a little under the weather and isn't eating for whatever reason and you need to entice it to eat, you have options. Mm -hmm. You can always add a little bit of water to it or a little Mm -hmm. chicken broth or if you need to add a little tiny bit of canned food to it to entice them to eat Mm -hmm. the food that you know is best for them. And that works beautifully. But for these people that sit around and cook all kinds of stuff for their food to add to the food, Again, they've messed up the entire nutrient balance of the food, but they've also put their dogs in a situation of where do you go from there? Mm -hmm. If they're already eating chicken and rice and Mm -hmm. and gravy and stuff like that, how do you entice them to eat when they're not going to eat? Yeah. You know, you shot yourself in the foot. (laughs) Yeah, I came to the conclusion if their coats are glossy, Mm -hmm. they maintain their weight, then what you're doing is working.
0: Right.
2: Yep. And the third thing is because I do show dogs and I do travel a lot with my dogs and I'm on the road with them. Mm -hmm. I want them to have good firm stools when I pick them up with a plastic bag. Right.
1: Right. Yeah, that makes it easier, doesn't
2: it? (laughs) It makes it so much easier. (laughs) Okay. If it's a weekday, my alarm goes off at 4.30 in the morning so that I can get ready for work. Mm -hmm. And between 4.30 and 5.30, I'm... uh, getting everybody out if the weather's good they go out so we've got uh pins set up so they go into pins they're in 32 foot by 32 foot runs Mm -hmm. we only put a couple of dogs to a run to make sure that nobody has any arguments when we're not home Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) and uh they get to play outside if the weather is above 50 and below 90. Mm -hmm. Uh, they've got shade trees they've got baby pools they've got water buckets They've got dog houses, and uh, they've got grass. Um, So if if that's the situation, that's what they're doing. And, uh, you know, then uh, in the evening when I get home from work, um, they get to come in. They they play some. They've got certain toys they like to to play with, some more than others. Mm -hmm. And then we get ready and we go to bed. And the ones that go into crates go into crates. The ones that go into bedrooms go into bedrooms, and uh, they get they get their dinner, and they go to bed. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what the weekdays generally look like. Um, just because you know I'm away from home 12 hours a day, unfortunately. You know, mm-hmm. we all have, we all have to make money, but uh, you know when we have puppies, which right now we have five-week-old puppies. You know the puppies come up and they get to play and get to play with different toys and we have people you know come play with them we have friends that come over and spend some time with them so they get used to different people and they get used to different sounds and different voices and all kinds of things and so some of the evening is taken up with puppy play and uh, they've got toys in their, their run that they play with during the day and they're uh, in uh, air conditioned and heated uh, fully insulated garage that's under the house so that they uh, they have windows and they have a a safe place for them to be Mm -hmm. when we're not at home so but on weekends you know you get up and there's more time for the dogs to play Mm -hmm. and there's more time to spend with them and if we're going to shows you know we'll either pack up you know friday night or we'll pack up saturday morning and we'll go and some go with us and some stay home and you know hang out
3: yeah
2: yeah well thank you so much i I do appreciate your time i do and i appreciate you putting a spotlight on our breed because you know it is a breed that is low entry it's not yeah. truly a rare breed as much as it's a low entry breed yeah. mm-hmm. and so um yeah no it, it is in danger of becoming extinct if people don't uh put forth the effort to uh, to preserve it and to keep promoting it so yeah. it's great to have people like you who are showing an interest in it and bringing it to light to others
1: awesome i appreciate it and we'll be in contact soon when i get the finished product out there for you
2: All right. Thank you so much, sir. All
1: right. Bye.
2: Take care. Bye-bye.